Hello and welcome to Deep Impact, a deep dive into Wildbo's most unloved work five years on. That's Elliot Diebold. And that was Ruben Morehouse. And we are back to talk about Bonds 1.4. And this is uh, a good chapter. I think it poses one of the most interesting philosophical questions of our time, Elliot, which is um, after Blake has a shower, gets very awkward with him and Rose, both being kind of half naked in the bathroom. So the question is, is it okay if your gender swapped alternate self sees you naked? What do you think, Elliot? See, I, okay, I thought about this a little, and I've decided it's really no different than, like, having a twin who mm. sees you naked, and at least in my neck of the woods, like, having two adult twins see each other naked is still a little bit weird. Yep, yep. All right. So, I'm going to go with answered. yes. Asked and answered. There you go. Don't and- <laughs> even need the rest of the book, Wildbo. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, the, that was the issue Pact was exploring so far, and we've nailed it. <laughs> So, So, uh, Bonds 1.4 kind of picks up with um, Blake and Rose being a little bit deeper into the whole world, you know. Um, They've started dipping their toes in and and learning, basically. Yeah, well, so it's it's sort of a a bit of a time skip. It seems like Blake got to read a bit and then fell asleep for a few hours. Um, And and Rose kept on reading while he was doing that. Um, But I really like this shower scene. for a mm. couple of reasons, but it was really, I think, the first time that the impracticality of this whole arrangement for Blake struck me, like when he was trying to shave without a mirror and really wasn't able to sort of look at himself in the mirror. I was like, oh yeah, this is going to be a bit of a pain in the butt for him in some s- situations. Yeah, I I think we, we think a lot about... Uh... <laughs> about how since Blake has l- literally lost his reflection, he doesn't seem to be super introspective, which is... Uh... Great symbolism. Um, yeah, well, he has a bit of an identity crisis during this whole thing where he's like, I don't have a reflection. This house is all unfamiliar and just reminds me of my grandma, who I hate. You know, mm. my life is shattered. And then he just does like, I- I've noticed a pattern already. He just sort of nopes out of bad thoughts and just starts thinking about something else. Like he- he's having this identity crisis and then suddenly he's like, Hey Rose, how did you get on with Molly and Paige? Like he just he yeah. just completely segues conversations. Yeah, I, it's interesting. I mean, we kind of touched on this before, but he's very uh, like non-confrontational within his own mind. He doesn't he doesn't yeah. touch on the bad things. He avoids thinking about them. Um, yeah, well, it ties into that personality trait that he's quite aware of in himself, where he doesn't like to sit still, and so yeah. it it almost feels like when he feels himself getting bogged down by bad thoughts, he just runs off to the next thing. Yeah. Uh, but jumping back to the post-shower scene, um, it's this. Yeah. It, it does have them kind of be very exposed in front of each other, both you know physically and a bit mentally. Um, and we get this. Uh, we get a bit more of exploration into the differences between Blake and Rose, and and Rose's relationship to to their family. I like it because it, it really just kind of it, it literally strips everything away and just puts them in front of each other. Yeah, I thought. I also thought it was really good. I feel like the first half of this chapter is dedicated to kind of putting Blake and, and Miro's at odds with each other a bit, like kind of reminding us that they're not, Mm. you know, this is a shitty situation they're in and they're not always going to agree. And like having, having them kind of exposed like that and, you know, like, you know, Miro's is kind of embarrassed and doesn't even want to look at Blake and, and the whole thing really separates them more in in your head kind of. Mm. Um, I think it's important to point out, we, we, we get a bit more hinting towards Rose being kind of more in competition with the family as opposed to Blake, who who was quite close to, to you know, Molly and Paige. 
so so Blake is is asking Rose about Molly's death and and says it doesn't upset you that she's dead and Rose says it does but if you told me Miss Mr Niles who was a, a neighbor of theirs uh, died I'd be about as upset someone who was a small peripheral part of my life <laughs> is now gone you know um, I I like this both because it's you know demonstrating that that Rose wasn't close to Molly but also it's very kind of endearing it's very much just like. Rose really does just lay it all out there. Um, yeah. And even though she's a creepy, freaky ghost reflection girl, basically, um, it, it makes me trust her because she's just like, yeah, well, you know, I didn't like Molly. <laughs> like, that's fine. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's good. It's interesting, though, because it doesn't seem like that different relationship was only after the the whole single granddaughter can inherit like uh, i think rose actually specifically says that they weren't that close before that either um so i don't know if that was you know the parents at play because the parents were already rare or or, you know if that's just something more to that that we're going to find out but uh i also there's a bit where miro sort of talks about how ellie basically threatened to kill her and Mm. so she didn't she didn't drive her car anymore and blake's just sort of thinking man i could never give up driving my car and and it's like it's it's like that practicality we brought up in in the last episode as well like you know she's talking about getting death threats and he's just like oh but you need to be able to drive a car it's you know it's very important yeah Um, he just again glosses over the actual bad (laughs) part um talking about rose's relationship with her family I, i wonder if maybe there's a bit of like in a family that's antagonistic towards each other if if it's if it's two girls, they they have a lot of different avenues to like bully each other than if it's a girl and a guy. Like Blake can kind of distance himself in a lot of ways that Rose couldn't, just because she's a girl and Ellie's a girl, and they can kind of bully each other in in a number of more insidious ways. There, you know. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, I mean, I definitely think it's something we'll probably find out more about. Because I mean, for me, I I'm pretty sure it's news in this chapter uh, for me at least that the whole single granddaughter inheriting it was a long time before Rose's death. I ac- I'd actually been working off the assumption that this was something Rose senior had declared like, you know, a couple of weeks before her death, not years, which is what this mm. chapter seems to be implying. Mm. Um, so that's sort of changing my whole understanding of the family dynamics a bit. Uh, mm. And there's definitely more to learn there. I think. Well, let's keep going then. Maybe we'll see what we get to. Uh, so uh, we kind of get a bit of, of looping back as to what they've been doing since, you know, the end of, of Bonds 1-3, talking about how they were reading through the books. Um, and <laughs> Rose asks where Blake's up to, and Blake says, oh, you know, I just finished the introduction. And Rose is like, oh, I've just finished the book. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, she cheats because she doesn't uh, sleep or eat, and so she has more time to, like, spend reading. But... Um, Blake is still kind of uh, jealous, jealous and upset about <laughs> how Rose already is pulling ahead, and he doesn't really want. He wants him to be on equal footing because otherwise he feels like he'll be a bit left behind by her. Yeah, and there's also, I mean, there's a bit of it. He brings up that like he he's at least suspicious that Rose might be an other, and I don't think I fully understand what an other is yet, except that it just seems to be some kind of term for lots of different things that aren't mortal. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so they, they mention not of mortals or of the mortals world. Yeah, and so I don't know if that like if that's sort of the the whole blanket term or if there's more to it, but um yeah, yeah he, he does basically directly pull a quote from a book about others and talks talks about it within the context of Rose. 
And of course, Rose has just been talking about how she doesn't sleep, doesn't have a heartbeat, doesn't breathe. Yeah. So, you know, we're pretty primed to kind of accept that sort of connection and, and understand why Blake isn't really trusting her as much as I am. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I think one of the other things I really like about this bit is we get a little nice bit of world building about how there has been a kind of natural selection process for the others. Um, all mm. the ones who are, like, not as scary or a bit nicer have obviously just been killed by the scarier ones because that's how others survive and, and propagate Um yeah, it definitely just... like hypes them up a bit more in terms of their danger level because it's basically saying, well, yeah, there are crap ones, but they're not an issue anymore. Like, the only ones that left are the, uh, that are left are the ones that you got to worry about. Yeah, it's a very authentic uh, little bit of world building touch, which I, I yeah. think is very wildbo. You know, extrapolating. Well, what is the realistic situation that would happen if there was ghosts and goblins and spookies and stuff? Um, yeah, yeah, it feel it, it makes a lot of sense. It's great. Um, so Blake kind of shaves, he, he towels off and Rose notices his, his tattoos, um, small birds perched on tree branches in pale greys, whites and yellows against a backdrop of reds in watercolour hues. Very colourful tattoos. I like them. Yeah. And I, I'm assuming like, or, you know, I, 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 I don't know if there's that much symbolism behind this. I'm assuming the birds are stuff to do with like freedom and movement because that seems to be Blake's jam. Um, mm. The whole tree thing's giving me like a family tree kind of vibe, but that just might be the headspace I'm in because there's been a lot of talk of family in the book so far. So, you know, that, that may not be the case. So that's just where my head is now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Blake and Rose keep discussing the books and uh, Rose <laughs> Rose tells Blake, hey, take a look at those headers. And Blake starts reading out all these horrible things. Betrayal within the coven, betrayal by familiars, covens, crusades, death. Rose's like, no, 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 skip ahead. And he, he just keeps skipping through all these horrifying <laughs> uh, dangers until eventually well, Rose is like, no, no, skip ahead, 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 all the way to the end. <laughs> and they're just, just like, no, no, it's just the witch hunters thing. <laughs> Um, and it was great because he's just reading out the headings from chapter eight of this one book, which is like <laughs> list of dangers a practitioner may face. So it's like, this is just a, a part of one book on all the shit he might have to deal with. And it's just like, man, yeah. shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get a bit more world building about some of the people that live in the, uh, in this world, you know, all these dangerous uh, things but as well there's you know witch hunters and we find out a bit about that and it's just kind of laying the seeds for for more of the things about the world um yeah and rose kind of latches onto the witch hunters thing and and sees it as a potential way to be in the world without being practitioners with a capital p you know be in the world as witch hunters who who are involved but don't kind of bond with um others as much and, yeah, uh, it, it, she it, she says it as a loophole to you know to sort of just do the minimum amount of magical stuff um, to meet Rose Senior's requirements, but then they can sort of package themselves up as witch hunters, which means they're not quite as vulnerable as most practitioners or something. Uh, yeah. So it's just a loophole to try and get out of the whole thing. Mm. Um, yeah, and I, I guess this this argument between them kind of boils down to Rose wanting to follow the letter of the law or of the letter i guess that that <laughs> granny rose has left for them and try and mm. find loopholes within that while blake is like no we have to kind of try and follow the spirit of this letter so that we can otherwise there'll probably be traps and stuff along the way you know yeah well he, uh, a big part of his argument is kind of that he'll still have to 
properly awaken himself and make some of these sorts of payments, whatever that actually means, yeah. uh, to do the witch hunter scenario. And his kind of thinking is, well, if I'm going to have to do this shit, I may as well do it properly. Um, yeah. But I, I don't know. I found it a bit jarring, this this kind of argument, because it seems like a complete reversal of the, the one in the last chapter, um, mm. or maybe even the chapter four, where Blake found the, the note um about the with like the escape cause um initially yeah. and he wanted to escape and rose was the one who was like no that's a trap yeah. um and, and yeah so the, it's kind of like they've just totally swapped roles in the span of like 24 hours it's it's interesting yeah uh, this argument especially is weird to me because they you know they're dipping their toes in but it it definitely comes across that they don't really understand what practitioners are or even what witch hunters are or or any of these yeah. kinds of things like they have inklings but it definitely feels like they're uh, they're they're making these decisions or trying to start making these decisions without having the full information. Um, yeah, I mean, at this point, I'm willing to give Miro's the benefit of the doubt and assume that she's just had a bit of a panic attack while she was awake by herself without her heartbeat, and so she's trying to make things as normal as possible. But it felt jarring to hear her and Blake completely switch roles on the whole getting out of this thing. Yeah. Um, so they're they're arguing. Uh, and uh, they they kind of half resolve their argument, and it's half interrupted by a knocking at the door. Um, and Blake is kind of like, "Oh shit, someone's at the door!" Uh, and he goes and checks, and there are two policemen. And he has this nice line at seeing police, which is, "Relief hit me in a wave, even in the moment my heart sank." And it's just this great little bit of, "Oh, yeah. cool, it's police!" Oh shit, it's police! <laughs> <laughs> which um. I'm- um, yeah, and because this this thing's kind of really the the argument just before the police turn around turns into this thing, and it comes up again later, uh, when Miro sort of brings up the massive power imbalance in their relationship. Yeah. Like Blake yeah. is really the one who gets to do things, whereas they're tied together, and she's already starting to get a bit frustrated with the fact that he's really the one who gets to make all the calls, and it's going to be very easy for resentment to build up there. I think. Hmm. Um. Yes, you have a uh, <laughs> you have a little note here saying it's very easy to, <laughs> for resentment to build up there and be paid back when they swap, which yeah. I like. <laughs> so you're, you're um, doubling down on the fact that they're going to swap places at some point. Or, or at least have the chance to, yeah. Uh, but no, mm. it's good. For now, she has his back at least. Like For now, she's like, oh, let's deal with the police together, which was nice. Yeah. Um, so uh, one of the policemen, Laird B- Behaim, Laird, um, is revealed to be the the chief of chief of police around here, and they 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 kind of question him for a bit, um, obviously investigating the death of of Molly. Um, yeah, and Blake kind of plays dumb because obviously he's he shouldn't really know that she's dead, uh, and then they reveal that that she was mauled to death in the woods, and he kind of he actually, even though he knew this already, he 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 reacts to it quite emotionally. Um, yeah, he's yeah. really worried that he's not going to be able to fake the emotions, and then they sort of confirm that she's dead, and he doesn't have to fake the emotions; like they just come. It's it's a touching yeah. moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, Blake is kind of apprehensive about uh, this chief of police because he realizes that it's the policeman that he had that he saw in his uh, in his vision way back in in the first chapter. Um, yeah, and so he gives him the old "oh, not without a warrant" kind of line, which is nice. <laughs> um, 
So Laird kind of dismisses the other policeman who, who it seems doesn't really know anything about this world that they're in. And then they kind of have this talk in cryptic language about like, oh, so can I trust you to be honest? Yeah. And I think you know why and stuff like that. You know, it's very, uh, yeah. how much do you know? Oh, how much do you know? Kind of thing. Um, and I mean, Blake does a good job throughout the both the two sections of this conversation with the police officers and sort of he he has a go at lying by omission. Like he sort of technically tells the truth about how he ended up in the house, even though like, yeah. you know, he's leaving out some pretty important details. Yeah. And then again, when, uh, when this Laird guy first sort of starts to invite him to walk together privately, mm. Blake does a pretty good job of forcing him to be very specific about what he's offering and the protection he's offering so that there's no loopholes, which was, you know, uh, like Blake's got a bit of a natural talent for this stuff, I guess, which is you know, yeah. good to see. I think <laughs> I think it'd be easy to think about this kind of thing of the interplay of nailing down specific words to make sure that there's no loopholes. Um, I love that kind of stuff. It's just yeah. like very. It it kind of gives me this like uh, Sherlock Holmes or or Poirot kind of vibe where it's like here's the world that you get to play in with all these rules. Like oh I'm I'm gonna guarantee you're safe. I'm guaranteeing you. I would trust my own daughters to the care of myself here, and this isn't a trick and stuff like that. And you kind of know there are going to be situations where things like this happen, but then they they like double cross each other, and so it's like you've yeah. got all the pieces of this mystery of well, how are they going to circumvent and loophole these words? Um, yeah, and then you get to figure it out later. It's very it's fun. Uh, I I'm very excited to see how yeah all the semantics and wordplay comes into this book because i think that's gonna be really fun <laughs> yeah uh so so laird kind of invites blake for a walk and talk um and explains using this analogy of of kind of geopolitical powers basically the the basic uh political system of the town um so there's the the yeah. behames the these blonde women that he saw in his vision uh the the older aboriginal women um jo- johans who has long hair and a dog familiar basically kind of points out each of the major players in the story and gives a little bit of backstory about them um and then explains yeah. that that the thorburns that that Blake's grandma was sitting on a metaphorical nuclear weapon and basically everyone wants to make sure that these weapons get decommissioned and don't fall into anybody's hands <laughs> right um yeah, it's the Chekhov Chekhov's nukes, I think, is is a good analogy for these, yeah. for these things. I, I I have a feeling they're going to come back, uh, and I, I reckon Blake will use them by the end of the story. Ooh, we got another prediction brewing here. Um, <laughs> yeah. So now I'm going to ask you this because I I don't feel comfortable answering this based on future knowledge. Do we know what the nuclear weapons are at this point? No, um, Blake Blake suggests in his internal monologue that he thinks it's the knowledge, like the books yeah. um, in the house. I, I have a feeling it's going to be more than that. Um, I have a feeling that the house is so strongly protected and, and stuff for a reason. Uh, I think maybe there's some stuff trapped inside it or something. But uh, yeah. yeah, Blake seems to think it's just the knowledge in, in Rose's books, but I, I doubt it's just that. Yeah, okay. Um, so, so Laird basically says, hey... We're going to keep you guys in place for now, as long as you're not too unstable, because we don't really know how to decommission these nukes. But when we figure it out, you know, we're going to just get rid of you, so sorry. Well, basically. He, he basically says um, he he's in a very strong position, but if if the Thorburns were to, to fall apart right now, there's a chance that this Johans guy would actually take control of the region, and they don't yeah. want that. So they basically they basically tell Blake, 
uh, listen, we're going to support you and, and be your ally up until the point where we think destroying you would be to our own advantage. And at that yeah. point, we'll kill you and, like, sorry. Yeah. Um, um, I, it's and- probably worth pointing out that one of the other reasons that this is all kind of important, that the that the Blake's house is important, is um, their town is right on the verge of kind of an economic boom. And they see the Thorburn house as kind of standing in the way to that. Um, as well as yeah. they want to make sure that the political powers are all kind of settled when there's an economic boom so that there's not too much fighting to, to, to gain more power, basically. Yeah, well, and it's implied that the Thorburns have been a thorn uh, in everyone's side. A thorn burn, yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so we, we kind of learn a bit more about the political systems. Um, I think it's nice that we get Johan, who is... In the visions, he was the only one who was like, hey, come find me, I'll help you, basically, to Blake. Um, yeah. Or, or even, like, tried to have a conversation with him. Um, and he's set up as this very mysterious character, which I like. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm very interested to see more in him. Uh, well, sorry, see more of him. Because, um, like, this whole thing by Laird is basically framed as you need to be scared of Johans right now because he's the one who benefits if you are up upstage or sorry, like killed yeah. right now yeah. and of course blake actually points out that the whole reason for this political metaphor is it kind of gives him freedom to lie so i i wonder if that is actually something we should trust because johan seemed to be the only one who was interested in teaming up with blake and i wonder yeah. if maybe that is a that you know i wonder if johan's is going to end up actually being the ideal ally for blake um, yeah I mean, in the region he definitely does use this metaphor which means that he can lie because it's just a metaphor um but it it also does seem like laird is being very straight shooting with him like hey you know i mean we'll be your ally kind of for now but you'll be fucked in a few years basically (laughs) yeah Um, exactly which kind of makes me think that it's like one of those things you know the best kind of lie is one that makes you look bad um and so it's kind of like by you know seemingly being so honest about killing him off in a few years i wonder if it's distracting him from the bigger lie that's hidden within, which is that, you know, someone like Johans is a good good direction for him to go. Mm. Yeah. Um, so Laird basically drops this bomb on him and then says, hey, look, I'll buy you a coffee. It, it's not so bad. Let's go get a coffee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and Blake <laughs> um, says yes, which kind of is reminiscent of the whole, the bit where he agrees to just go on this walk and chat in the first place. Yeah. Uh, is very much like, why are you saying yes to this? It'll be fine, Elliot. You, you can trust Led. <laughs> he said so himself, and he can't lie, so it's probably fine. <laughs> um, and that's the end of the chapter. They go off and, and head off to get a coffee. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So, you know, I guess I just wanted to give some thoughts on the chapter, because I felt like this chapter was in two parts, really. Like, there was mm. the the whole thing exploring Blake and Rose's differences at the start, and then we kind of got into this riddle-filled exposition dump. Um <laughs> I like the way exposition is given in this because there are two things, like the the overarching thing that hangs in your head while you're reading all this is, well, he technically can't lie, but I know he's probably going to somehow. (laughs) And so the whole time you're getting this exposition, you're like, well, could could this bit be the lie? And it's very much like, it it keeps the exposition dump more interesting just because you know there's this high likelihood that parts of it are a lie or, or parts of it by definition, have to be true, and you're not really sure which it is. Yeah. Oh, and there's also, I mean, it's all just layered in this metaphor, which kind of means you, as a reader, you have to do a little bit extra to be like, wait, so America, so that's the Bahames, and yeah, 
Europe. That's the Born Women. And like I, I went back after reading this one and went through the visions again and kind of mapped it all out in my head. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because that's something I'm assuming a lot of people would have done who are reading this serialized like live as it was yeah. coming out whereas yeah. i think if i'd binge this i probably just would have moved forward with my poor understanding of of the metaphor and kind of hoped that the blanks will be filled in by wild bow at the right times uh whereas yeah. because we're, we're going through this so slowly i've i've had the opportunity to uh go and, and sort of put the pieces together myself um so i'd be interested to sort of keep an eye out for whether I feel like Wildbow is filling in the blanks for uh, normal idiots like me uh, who would have just trudged <laughs> Those forward. Those binge readers, yeah. 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 Um, well, I guess I won't comment on that, but we shall see, I suppose. <laughs> um, yeah, on the whole, I, I like this chapter. I, it's Obviously, we, we touched on the fact that it is quite exposition heavy in the second half, but I, I found it more interesting than a regular exposition dump just because of this underlying tension throughout the whole thing, I guess, like... Yeah, well, and it was exactly what, what happened. Like, last chapter as well did the same thing, where it was a lot of exposition, but it was hidden behind these sorts of riddles they had to, to use to get through the house. And this time, we've had the exposition kind of hidden behind a layer of, um, you know, metaphors and, and confusion that you have yeah. to sort of piece together yourself. Obviously, the start of this story, introducing the readers, the audience, and Blake to a new uh, a new basically a new universe um <laughs> it has to have exposition in there right and, and so i find it a good mark of talent how interesting the exposition is able to be you know? yeah definitely um i guess that's that's uh bonds one four though right yeah i think that's everything so this episode is going up just before the end of the year um our next episode talking about bonds one five will be on the 4th of january and then we'll really be right into the swing of this schedule, right? It's uh, 4th of January, yeah. 7th of January. And we're really, we're really away at that point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think we'll be on that, uh, that Tuesday, Saturday sort of format that uh, the Wildbow readers will be more familiar with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so if you, if you like this episode or have any other thoughts about Bonds 1.4 or 1.5 that you would like to, to share with us, uh, please check out the discussion threads, which we will link in the down in the show notes down below yep uh we also have a website mediamdpodcast.com where you can you know find all the info on this podcast and our other ones including the titular media md yep and from there you can review the show on itunes which would be very helpful to help us kind of get out there a bit more um as well as check out links to our twitter and facebook if you want to interact with the show in other ways mm -hmm. and i guess that's that uh we will see you on the 4th of january happy new year everybody and uh but yeah bonds one five see you then